Hello and welcome to the Hacking State podcast. This is your host, Alex Mershak. With me today is Will. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So today we're going to talk about a new idea that you sort of thrown out into the uh, Twitter sphere, uh, which is a kind of a response to a lot of the discourse happening around uh, around AI. There are, of course, various kinds of camps. There are AI doomers like Yudkowsky et al., who believe that AI is going to bring the end of the world. There are the effective accelerationists, uh, which is sort of a group of techno-optimists who are enthusiastic about accelerating the, um, the, the, the coming of AI, and they almost treat it as if it's a... Um, as if it's some sort of godlike force that will, uh, you know, bring humanity into the next era, and and some uh, even believe that bringing humanity along for the ride is not necessary. Um, and you've put out uh, a new sort of a meme that's related to all of this discourse called uh, anthro chauvinism, and that's mm. what we're here to talk about today. So, talk to me a little bit about why this term came up for you, uh, what it means, and uh, how you're thinking about it. Sure. Yeah. No, and and honored to be invited and in, that you're interested in this. Uh, um, so, so it's a couple things. One is that it like at the at the very specific level, both those camps that you mentioned, both Yudkowsky uh, the uh, like that whole kind of like rationalist uh, AI safety kind of crew, and like a like a good chunk of the of the EAC folks are what you might call like posthumanist or transhumanist, and ob- th- those can mean different things. But basically, um, both are kind of okay with the concept of you know. Uh, consciousness or some aspects of of humanity that isn't necessarily human persisting on um without us right so like ai persisting without us as our like mind children or god children are are like terms that are used um and that is like really the difference between like the like beth and the and Yud on this is that, yeah, Yud thinks that we're it's just it's not even going to get to that level. So, uh, so that, uh, hold on, that's going to uh, be extinguished. Beth, so. meaning the Twitter account, uh, Beth Jezos, who's sort of yes. the ringleader of the effective accelerationists, right? Right, right. Would it be helpful if I kind of like give like a background on on EAC quickly, or or uh, sure? Just, I mean, you probably know more about it than I do. Um, so please. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So. Um, so EAC or effective accelerationism, like that, like all those, I, I was in a group chat with the, with these guys for quite some time before even some of them like created their alts and um, like, Z- like Zesty and Baze and Beth and, um, and Atlas, like, like we were all, and, and multiple others like Rune and a, a few other people, we were all in these group chats and series of kind of like very late night Twitter spaces from like, I think maybe like November 
2021 was when it like kind of took off. It was before the whole word cell thing took off. Um, and were one of the things that was like a consistent, like part of the discussion was, you know, techno optimism, generally frustration and mockery of, you know, this like kind of like, like, uh, uh, like <laughs> soyed out, um, like rationalist world that existed in the Bay Area of, of, you know, people who are living in group houses throughout Berkeley and, and San Francisco are interested in things like, uh, you know, psychedelics and polycules and um, transhumanism generally and, and the existential risk of AI. Like there's mm-hmm. a, that's like a community and it's kind of like a set of ideals that draws people to that community. It's, it's pretty intellectually diverse, but like, there's some common premises or at least dispositions that allow for those people to get along, but also allow for, you know, some, uh, some like kind of funny and mockable, like, uh, be- like behavior and, and, and attitudes. So that was kind of like a consistent theme. Um, and, uh, I think around May, like May of 2022, I think at the very end of May, um, like there was, I remember seeing it on my phone and skipping past it. Uh, like uh, space with these guys, I had already been on, you know, we'd been in spaces like for this for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, and these guys were particularly tight and they, and uh, I guess during that space, they kind of like coined not only did like was the term effective accelerationism coined they kind of just like kind of wrapped up the ideas that were being talked about uh as as an ideology or at least like a set of bullets for like the kind of premises that people were kind of bouncing into plus a, plus they added a couple things mm. um and uh that includes and included uh in particular at the time i remember i it was a twitter space the the night right after where they were kind of like presenting it not developing it and uh the idea was like oh well you know even if uh like ai persists into like um to the extent that you know we are replaced that that shouldn't be resisted and that's a good thing. So instead of being effectively altruistic, you're being effectively accelerationist. So it's like explicitly mocking like EA and Yud. Um, uh, Yud as in Yudkowsky. Um, and uh, that was like a pretty like central or forward part of the whole intellectual endeavor and program. Uh, and it was really, you know, a meme. and. Uh, you know, there's a lot more to it now, but the but that was like the primary thing that was presented with, and like a few of us were interacting with, and um, so that's that's basically that was like kind of the origin of of EAC, at least from my from my vantage point, and um, so that's so that's kind of like effective accelerationism. Since then, it's like developed much further. I can go into like where it's gone from there, but well, in terms of like, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, no, I, I would say like, I don't want to focus too much on effective accelerationism. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Just sort of like, I think it's good to give people a little bit of background right. um, and then maybe kind of, you know, fast forward up to like the current state of play um, with regard to like the discourse around AI, transhumanism more generally. It seems to me like you are someone who, if I'm not mistaken, was some, like heavily involved in AI, not just in a social sense uh, prior to this. And you've since sort of taken a, an almost techno pessimistic turn um, where you've, you've become a lot more anthropocentric, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term. Um, so like, what was the personal evolution of that? Like for you? Sure. Sure. So I I think it was a few things. Um, one was, so, so starting with my background that kind of even brought me into like the tech sphere and like meeting all these Twitter people too is, um, so I was, uh, I, you know, I've been doing, um, you know, ML work and, uh, and like data science work. I, I got introduced to and saw at the time the latest model was GPT 2 and immediately, uh, became completely enamored by it because up until then, like my impression of natural language processing, like, which is, you know, AI for text. Mm-hmm. Was that it didn't particularly work very well. There weren't very many applications for it. Um, it wasn't all that interesting, uh, at least to me. And um, I was just interested in like neural networks generally. But then seeing like GPT two and seeing, you know, some fine tuned versions of it, um, I or I saw a startup that was working on it. I immediately uh, started working for them, and. Um, and then, uh, then I dove in further and further and worked in, uh, I was in academia doing uh, natural language processing research. I won't like specify the specific problems, but, the, but I was in natural language processing research. Um, then continued, you know, my engagement with like industry, like in the startup world, both working for startups, helping them set up like their first kind of like AI pipelines or being like a founding engineer roles like this. And uh, uh, even like, go, like even going further than this. So um, yeah, very, very much immersed, uh, basically academics and um, in industry. Uh, so like very much in the game. And that's how I actually became acquainted with a lot of the like tech Twitter, at least at first. And um like that was my introduction to it uh then like in terms of my like like intellectual evolution on this i mean it was it was a few things one is um becoming kind of uh skeptical uh t- like first it was like be- becoming like skeptical towards like wig history generally like the concept that progress is linear and we're only it's only going up mm-hmm. like it was it was just increasingly clear that 
all right, well, not all aspects of like tech accelerationism and, and capitalism produce desirable uh, like like social contexts and um, you know environments and and trade offs for people to interact with. Like, yeah, we're we're innovating, but to what end? And like one like like a, a particularly like disillusioning uh, point was seeing like okay well we have gpt3 out we have like like excitement about ai and what's the biggest product it's like it's copy ai it's um it's basically like generation of spam uh, like is was the primary first use case for a huge part of this like for the, that was the most successful company at least the time for it and um and it's like very quick to see, okay, well, here's like this very awful scenario that you can foresee where now my my inbox and my uh, social media feeds and the advertising advertisements I see, like not even a person is writing those. I'm just like surrounded by AI copy generation that's like, one, it's lazy and sloppy, but even more it, like you could see that like progress would would go towards making it more persuasive. Uh, like that's not, that's not the reason that I got into natural language processing. The reason I was interested in natural language processing was okay. Like expansion of knowledge, incorporating and, and considering like more, uh, books and historical sources and, mm -hmm. and information from academia than any one person could possibly consume and fully grok and understand and and it seemed like there was no there was no pursuit or interest towards that it was it was like very clear that like techno capital i guess is the word for it that we might use was progressing to, like using it for um you know basically the the like intellectual equivalent of like fast food so not not ideal um then further Further, this is the effective accelerationism piece. Um, I remember my first reaction to join this join the space the, the night after EAC was coined, and like I was hearing like, oh well, you know, it's uh, like this is just the next phase of evolution. Like that's based, and it's like, mm -hmm. and my immediate impression, my immediate reaction, I, I I remember I used the word cucked because that's like what it like very clearly felt like it was it was like being it, it was it was like being a neanderthal cheering on the rise of the homo sapiens and so, yeah so, so you you felt like the sentiment like that very first night after the eac sort of takeoff was that there were already people cheering for the uh um i guess um obsolescence of humans mm -hmm. yeah the replacement of humans the surpassing of humans by ai uh as a, basically just like a next evolutionary step and like at each iterate it's funny every time that somebody in the act who believes in this stuff is interrogated on it they hedge and nuance more and more and more um uh, but like the um but yeah that was that was the crux of it and there's actually a good deal of people who believe in this mm -hmm. like um and and part of it is fatalistic that they think that 
uh, techno capital and its acceleration are inevitable that AI will inevitably replace and beat humans. There's no, there's no way out of this. So you might as well double down. Um, I don't find that particularly compelling or convincing, um, or necessary, or even obviously true. Um, so the, so yeah, that was, that was the, um, that's a huge, huge component, like both industry researchers, the, the e there's like a good contingent of this amongst the EAC people, even amongst the existential risk people, like they would be like uh, a tolerable, acceptable scenario for many, including Yud, seems to be uh, replacement of humans, but like some light of consciousness, our mind children lives on, which to me is also like unacceptable. Um, there's there's this great paper that I, I recommend to many which is the Artelect War, uh, A-R-T-I-L-L-E-C-T, War. And it's either Hugo de Vries or Hugo de Garris. And the concept is that there's going to be, as AI accelerates, there's going to be two camps. And he names them Cosmists and Terrence, where Cosmists are kind of like what you might see as accelerationists right now, which is... Um, which is expansion of technology, uh, like even at the expense of humanity, um, and for some potentially like transcendental goal. And Terrans, a reactionary kind of force that is that uh, is dissatisfied with that on its own terms. Like that, if something replaces humans, it's fundamentally not acceptable. Um, no matter what it's replaced by. So like that or, or to what end? So that, that kind of framing is not like, um, is not new. Uh, uh, my impression of like Nick Land's work is kind of similar where like, uh, but I, I'm still yet to like fully engage in it. I wanted to develop my own kind of thinking and ideas on this on uninterrupted and uninfluenced. Um, and I'll be revisiting those, but yeah, I mean, it's the idea of being tolerant of human replacement or even having an instinct towards it, uh, towards replacement to the end of some, like, uh, something transcendental or, or to like, or for, um, or out of some evolutionary reasoning, uh, is, is not new, but it is like, it, like uh alarmingly and like surprisingly present um like you'll see eac in the bios of like very prominent people in the tech sphere now and i i'm not going to say that they all believe in that particular interpretation they don't but um mm. but it is like it is certainly a subset of that larger group yeah are you aware of the uh the origin story of open ai Right, right. It was like 2015, and they like they were they were afraid of AI risk, so they were like the so the idea was to get uh, ahead of it and contain it. Well, it, it's not only that, but like like so so there was a there was a disagreement between Elon Musk and Larry Page uh, over um, you know over over 
over AI and whether AI was going to uh, do what we're talking about now, which is make humans, um, you know, obsolete or irrelevant or replace humans altogether. And um, famously, Larry Page called Elon Musk a speciesist <laughs> for right, caring yeah, about humans, know. right? And so <laughs> this this debate goes goes much farther back. <laughs> um, and I would say that uh, I, I, it's it, it's at least some um, it's at least promising, I guess, that uh, that Elon Musk is on the side of the humans. Um, but there are many others who are uh, also quite powerful and quite influential who are not. Um, so it's not just like an abstract, you know, a bunch of like anons on Twitter making these arguments. Um, they're very serious people running very large organizations, uh, doing right. very important work in AI who. Uh, who genuinely would would be fine if humans were left behind, right? Absolutely. Um, and and some of the thing is, I don't think that any all of the sounds like very like, and I think it should sound very alarming to to your average person to the extent that it's almost like cartoonish that like oh these people couldn't possibly believe this, um, but they do and they don't right because they're not one they're not really. Then I, I don't think that the maybe you could I've heard the term uh, thrown around extinctionist uh, a little bit thrown out there, but post-human, you know, this idea that it's okay if humans are replaced. People who are of this camp, they they don't really act like uh, like they're expecting this to occur, right? Like you'd think that they'd be more, uh, you know, they'd be retreating from their demanding jobs and. Uh, and spending time with their family, like like it it doesn't seem like they're as, um, or even if they want they want to be at the center of it, right? Like it, it doesn't seem like AI researchers who even espouse this view are are like acting in a way that's kind of consistent with it, like preparing for it, like trying to port their brain somewhere publicly, and mm -hmm. like uh, trying to assert and ensure that their that their that their mental presence is preserved somehow like these um what if it's a so, death cult right well this i i don't know enough about death cults but the um well they usually result I, in everyone dying <laughs> yes right but like i don't know how people behave up until that suicide event like are they behaving um, in a way that kind of believes that it's happening or almost as if it's surreal that they've been able to adopt such uh, abstract beliefs uh, because they're not taking them particularly seriously? They've, they're like they've deluded themselves, but they like understand at some subconscious level that it's a delusion. Um, well, I would I would say that like the characteristic of a death cult, and I'm not an anthropologist, is is usually, but I've talked to some anthropologists, is usually that um people are earnestly and steadfastly working towards, you know, imminentizing the eschaton, right? Huh, um right. bringing forth often something like the end of the world. Right. And this usually involves, you know, some sort of story about everybody dying and going to heaven or going to space or, or whatever, something like that. 
Um, and they do give up everything else in their life in order to do that. I mean, the people in Jonestown, right, brought their families along and drank the Kool-Aid and killed and committed suicide. Um, and, and the ones who tried to escape, like, so I guess one thing to say is that there is a, uh, a try, there is a try partying of members of the cult uh, at varying stages. And at the final stage, you sort of get everybody revealing their cards. So at the very end of something like a death cult, like when it comes down to it's time to drink the Kool-Aid and say goodbye, um, there are like three common reactions. One, like the true believers, they just go like right into it, right? Um, the second response is um, they like are, um, they, you know, they reluctant, they reluctantly continue because they see that like the path they're on is like it's like too late and then the third response is uh they try to escape right and you know at jonestown actually like people were shot uh for trying to escape and you know, some people did manage to escape but most did not um and you know so a lot of people if it were a death cult would not wake up until it's too late uh and some won't wake up at all Right. Um, but I'm not sure if it qualifies as a death cult because it's not clear that there's actually an imminent and present danger. And I guess that's part of the difficulty of having this discussion is like, in order to even accept the premises of the various camps, uh, you have to like first accept that the future we're outlining is plausible. Right. Well, and they don't seem to be have the emotional valence of of somebody who did believe that like death was imminent and also that it's not even necessarily good or bad but just simply inevitable um it's it's strange right the like the idea is that it's completely that because it's inevitable you ought to lean in um and uh, I I just don't understand how one could like receive that and then decide to you know double down and you know I'm going to accelerate this force that I think is ultimately catastrophic. Um, so so I guess one more thing before we we sort of like move into the 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 alternative you're proposing is like what do you think is the motivation then for the people who are working in the industry who espouse these beliefs um if you think that their behavior is not in line with what they're saying well so i i think that the, there's a few other dynamics uh that that are that are commonly kind of assumed and understood uh in terms of what what might happen like the array of possible scenarios on the other side of agi or as we like incrementally progress towards it. And one is that like there's going to be enormous, enormous kind of like inequality as like the cost of uh labor goes to zero, mm -hmm. uh, as the cost of human labor goes to zero. So those who are closer to that source of value, that 
that um, that that development of AI, that development of AGI, would be on the other side of you know what might become like eventually like a a very despair like disparate favela, right, right, right. and the uh, API line, <laughs> right, 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 and. So from that from that perspective, I totally understand wanting to jump to the other side of it, and uh, I think that like there are like already you know we're seeing that like the people who work at these companies are uh, if you look at salaries there versus like the median American salary, it's like just uh, a huge difference, right? Like we're seeing like salaries around, like, I think the lowest salary at OpenAI is I think 500K, something like this. Um, obviously the average would be then like much higher than that, uh, the mm -hmm. median too. And it's the, um, so, so there's that, there's like, even in the, even in the structure of, I think, uh, how OpenAI is like set up and forecasted as businesses, the plan is, I think that, all the employees get like a chunk of future revenue for like a certain number of years or up to a certain amount. Um, and, and then in response to that inequality, I think like Sam Altman has set up like world coin or uh, maybe he has other ventures as well, but um, to kind of like tie like some UBI to, to the productivity of AI as a whole and and it's like very quick to see like, okay, well, th this can be like very easily manipulated and there's all kinds of like sci-fi dystopian scenarios. Um, so I, I completely understand like wanting to get on the other side of that. The other part is, that's motivating, right, is to want to be on the frontier of a species changing event of like at, at minimum, like a, like a major historical event uh for technology generally um the like i i was profoundly interested in it i still am i still keep up with papers and uh and still like <laughs> you know look at look at how these things work and how they're developing and you're also seeing increasingly more and more revealed about uh ourselves and and the mind just as a function of getting closer to creating like some alternate version of it um, so it's, there, there's a lot of intellect, like a lot that's intellectually stimulating and, and exciting, um, about working in this space. And I completely understand that. Um, so it's, it, it's, I, I certainly don't blame them. What, what I do find weird is like, like, okay, if you genuinely think that humans are going to be replaced, then why would you work towards that and because you're going to be a part of that replacement um like you're not going to be free of that uh on your own terms so um i guess their thinking is you know well, maybe, maybe they if get i eat, don't maybe somebody else eaten, will they get eaten last right someone's gonna right. build it anyway right right well and and i think that like the structure of how this looks matters a lot like uh so um, you know, it, one, one is like, okay, so opposition to, uh, the obsolescence of humans can also be framed in a way that like makes that position look like very dumb, which is that like, you're just opposed to evolution of humanity, uh, generally. 
and that it's like inevitable that over time humans will look very different than they do now. Um, like that's true, but that's like a very different like uh, um, future and uh, and uh, like like mechanistic path than than I think what people are raising when they're discussing obsolescence by AI replacement by AI. Um, so it's uh, yeah, there, I don't know. There's it's it's very much like you know, clouded by people who are kind of speaking as if they don't believe that it's going to happen and then acting as if they think they do. So, okay. So out of all of that, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, where, where does, uh, anthro chauvinism begin? Um, sure. You know, you've, you've also sort of expressed, related ideas around and being anti-transhumanism anti-posthumanism um Mm -hmm. we've been sort of circling these topics as we've talked about sort of setting the stage for this um like uh yeah draw a vignette for me of anthro chauvinism Sure. So anthro chauvinism is, and I'm still in the process of kind of like working out the details on this is that the idea that humans, humanity, the natural form is, is sacred is to be, uh, is to be like revered, uh, to be owed deference, uh, whether it's from like an evolutionary perspective that, oh, well, you know, millions of years of evolution have arrived at us being this way or uh you know if you're um if you're theistic uh you know believing that we're like made in god's image you know it owing a deference to the human form and and appreciating it and not wanting to violate it and that's for two reasons right one is dispositionally i think it's um it's it's important to to prioritize what is what is nearest what is most sacred uh over some bizarre materialistic abstraction uh that that's un uncaring about like what species you are um it's a good instinct that it's unhealthy to it's like if you're the type of person who's completely fine with just like uh uh, the replacement of humans and like are sick of the natural form and are um, have have like a antagonistic or disgusted reaction towards the the human body or towards aging or all these natural things, childbirth that um, that's probably like one as ends. That's it. That creates a variety of like disasters, but as as a disposition, it just like betrays, um, you know, being like spiritually <laughs> antagonistic towards yourself. It's like suicidal at a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the other part of it is as the, as the end, because the, the thing that I'm primarily that I, I, I think I differ on from personally with much of the AI safety kind of discourse is that um, many of the problems and like, you know, techno optimists have pointed this out and I think correctly, many of the problems that people point to 
regarding uh, AI and its risks are actually applicable to technology as a whole and like right. te- like like just general dynamics of technology. Um, now that's uh, so so you can interpret that in two ways, right? One is like, oh well, technology is good, so therefore. Uh, I am wrong on this. That might be one way to interpret it. I, I don't find that convincing. That <laughs> I think it's much more true that, okay, if I have a problem with this dynamic, maybe I ought to explore that further. And you know, the more, the more I thought about it, and others have come to this conclusion too, is that tech necessarily, uh, in the context of capitalism, in the context of secularism, uh, results in like a... a like basically the extraction and repurposing and and restructuring of all sources of value and aspects of existence uh and you know they're like and in the process their destruction so Mm -hmm. um like when ai safetyists are like are saying pause or do ai safely like they're just they're just deferring or rearranging a problem that the problem that they're motivated by it's going to pop up elsewhere. Um, and like the, the shape of the technology is a lot less important than the thing that motivated you to oppose it in the first place. So, um, so that's, that's a big part of the, the motivation is that tech generally has, has issues. And that's kind of what woke me up on this. Um, and, and I think that because if you look around, we're, we see a variety of problems popping up kind of at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, none of all of these things have like a cultural and political valence, like almost like necessarily. Um, but, you know, trans surgeries on children or um, Brian Johnson turning himself into a freak, like all these, all these dynamics that are like bothersome to a good chunk, like the majority of people. Um are are part of the same are, are extensions of the same problem and of the same instinct which is general dynamics of technology and like this instinct towards self-replacement um that happens in like the context of secularism like if you don't believe that we're made in god's image or that or that man as a form is sacred and and that there's some wisdom to biology and evolution uh naturally um you know, if you don't believe in that stuff, then you can arrive at like very bizarre and suicidal and transhumanist and posthumanist conclusions. Um, so, yeah. so that's what I take issue with. So one of the things that I think is interesting is where you draw the line between like enhancement and mm-hmm. uh, derangement. Because right. I feel like there are certain classes of technological uh Let's call them interventions mm-hmm. that uh, could put, that are that are really uh, in line with like enhancement, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about like performance enhancing drugs or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that like okay, like uh, I'm wearing glasses right now. Why am I wearing mm-hmm. glasses? Well, because like my vision isn't perfect, and mm-hmm. if it, you know, if I didn't have these glasses, I would just be walking around. Um, you know, the seeing blurry objects in the distance <laughs> and, right. uh, and, you know, my functioning would be, would be impaired. 
Uh, and so that's like a basic uh, improvement of technology, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, uh, if I were to, um, I don't know, start abusing uh, steroids or something and totally screw up my my uh, my hormones, uh, then like like irreversibly, uh, that would be a derangement, right? And right. I'm not sure that the line between the two is totally clear all the time. Um, you know, it's interesting that you brought up trans surgeries and you brought up uh, Brian Johnson, right? Because I actually think, even though I think Brian Johnson's protocol goes a little bit too far, like the fact that he needs a testosterone patch in order to keep his T levels appropriate because he's not eating enough calories to produce enough mm -hmm of the hormone endogenously like that right. tells you that like there's something wrong i think <laughs> um but i think overall most of the stuff that he's doing um is probably more along the lines of enhancement rather than derangement mm -hmm. um whereas some of the other stuff uh you know that's in the realm of uh let's say elective surgeries uh, is more in the line of like derangement, right? Um, and I think that's an interesting just question uh, to keep in mind is to talk about like what's transhumanism, what's sort of post-human, are you respecting the form? Um, you know, it's like if I'm just trying to optimize my exercise and nutrition to make the body that uh, that I was given uh, as like awesome as it can be um, and healthy as it can be, then uh then i'm not sure that that's necessarily a violation right but if on the other hand i'm like rejecting the body or i'm like trying to fundamentally change it in a way that it's uh not meant to be changed then i think that counts as a derangement so uh, i don't know Th those are just my thoughts on on those two examples you provided um Right. Well, it's uh, the I, I think that that you're raising like a very interesting and important question. Right. Like I have a pro like you you can have a problem with, uh, you know, AI girlfriends and ling like limb lengthening surgeries um, and yeah, yeah. not like, also that doesn't mean that like you're to opposed to like going to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. That's like not like not like there. <laughs> not a tolerance of like total transhumanism or or even like replacement of one's own mental faculties by mental or relationship faculties by ai are not necessary to like for the technologies that we are excited about like space colonization right so i so I think... uh, it's i think there's two sorry go ahead oh no i apologize for cutting you off um one thing I wanted to ask you, just because the description of technology that you gave a minute ago, or the not really technology, but it's the of the the affect of technology on humans, uh, is very in line with uh, with what Martin Heidegger says in the question concerning technology. And I believe I've brought that essay up with you before. Have you read it, by the way? I have. Yeah. No, it's okay. it's fantastic. I I don't even I I can't. Uh... I, I don't want to be so arrogant as to say that I like fully understand it, but like it, yeah, 
when I did read it, my under, my interpretation of it was like very influential for sure. Yeah, I, I will um, likewise just keep pushing this essay over and over again. Um, mm. I actually have an old video where I did a review on it a long time ago. I read it like three different times and took notes and tried to sort of understand it the best I could myself. Um, but it's a really great um, explanation of sort of the essence of technology and what it does to human beings and this sort of forever repurposing, reconstituting um, of energy and materials into different forms and how the humans can just sort of get lost in that is uh, really well done in that essay. Um, it's, it's a tough read. Uh, it's not very long, but it is very complicated. And there's a lot of uh, word tracking, I would say. You have to keep on. Um, I haven't read it in German. I don't know if it's any easier, uh, but at least in English, um, it can be quite daunting. But it's definitely well worth it if you're trying to understand technology. And I would just have to say that uh, um, that was actually recommended to me a long time ago. Uh, in an email, an unsolicited email from Justin Murphy, who I have to thank for that. I know that lots of people disagree with him. Uh, him and I have our own uh, disagreements politically and otherwise, but uh, he did turn me on to that essay. And so that was a good recommendation. Okay. So your focus is really just on this anthropocentric worldview, um, mm -hmm. sort of treating the human being, and I guess especially the body, as a kind of holy um or sanctified uh, entity mm -hmm. um yeah which seems you know in line with like i don't know all the major world religions <laughs> like right exactly not it's not like a foreign view the body like it is now yeah 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 like the body is a temple right yeah yeah so yeah well and also like aspects of cleanliness and hygiene and um purity uh all sure. of that is, is sort of in line um with uh you know let's just say like very lindy assumptions that uh, people sure. have had across across the world um is there a part of this i think when people hear this though they immediately uh think that it's some kind of uh ludditeism as well that it's sure. sort of an anti-technological or anti dare i say anti-progress um point of view how do you square this um notion of sort of protecting the sanctity of the human animal um with technological progress sure yeah yeah and I, i'm really happy that you asked this so there so i'm i'm still working on different ways to like kind of like approach this but at at a high level you know we don't need uh, again we don't need ai girlfriends to explore the stars you know like not all technologies are equal not all technologies have the same effect. Um, and uh, it's it's only in like the context of secularism that everything is kind of off limits. Uh, so like there's a few like and what I hope for is that you mean that this nothing is, this is, is off limits. Uh, yes, that nothing yeah. is off limits. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so this is part of my motivation for being for looking at this at the technology level than than at the ai level specifically which is that there's uh there are some like 
we're things are going to progress so quickly and and multiply and proliferate so broadly that um that we're not going like putting out memes or studies uh saying like hey don't use like ozempic because xyz side effect or whatever like that's going to prove futile pretty quickly because we're just not going to be able to respond to things as quickly as they're popping up so it's important to have like heuristics and mm-hmm. i i think that there's room to, there's room for innovation there in terms of like identifying ways to sort out uh technologies that are productive versus not uh and uh and violate like you know the human form versus not and and i think one there's a there's a few principles here so one is that this is like this is a north star you know like you know i wear glasses too like let's say in the th- like the the, the theoret- like let, let's say that like glasses like weaken human eyesight so like if we just decided that like you know from birth like you know our parents never uh sent us to the optometrist and we just went without our our vision without uh uh glasses would probably be better right like let's just say that that's the case mm-hmm. um then then what we have to like consider is like okay is that is that worth it like is the are the deleterious effects of of any uh technology on the human once they're in absence of that technology are those worth are those worth the benefits right and that's easy to look at in retrospect it's not easy to plan for uh but i think that that is like a north star is is good so basically again just are you are you now weakened without that technology are you in a worse state uh if you use it and then don't use it versus not using it at all um the other part is that we're like uh i i think that there's there's a difference between um technologies that are uh extractive or internal versus versus external right so um you know in this way like experimentation through like psychiatry um uh is is in some ways like more like more undesirable than you know uh innovation and experimentation in in weaponry right because in, internal versus external so the um i think that like having that as a having that as a guiding principle is it is it disrupting like a fu- like a function that is like close to you know your being as a human uh in a way that could cause it to function improperly without without that technology i think that's that's a good principle um and i i think that there's still more room for for that divergence that's a pretty sharp principle right because that would include a really wide variety of things you know and you know the 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 idea of something being lindy is actually you know not a bad heuristic either like uh like have <laughs> has it been around long enough that we really know what the what the downstream effects are do we need this um uh and uh that's separate from like the motivation for it which is which is something i could uh dive into separately but that that's that's essentially the principle like uh another way that you might well, look at it is sorry go ahead oh no continue 
No, so I, I think that the last thing, and this is this is one thing I'm going to try to put out a written piece on, is like if you maybe you want to characterize dynamics, uh, like really abstract dynamics of what technology does, um, that are like general enough that they will be uh, applicable across technologies and across time as as things accelerate, mm-hmm. but still specific enough that you can differentiate. Uh, technologies that are likely to have this this uh this this downstream effect versus not um and i have my own thoughts on this we can go into that but that's like but i think that that is a principle is is going to be necessary because otherwise we're just playing whack-a-mole with like all these different technologies because not all of them are going to be bad but like the the problem but that's a separate statement from technology uh generally produces like a like a type of like deleterious effect that's like undesirable and at at most catastrophic so are you describing a set of like policy prescriptions or are you just describing a certain uh tribe that might emerge with this orientation i think um i think it would have to be tribal or even personal Mm -hmm. um because anything like the the more coordinated or top down something is the more steps you are removed from being aware of something as an option and uh and being able to effectively respond to it um if you have like further and further distance so the reason i ask is just because i I think one of the objections that people are going to keep levying at you is like oh well these things are coming anyway and so you can't stop what's what's coming down the line and I don't think that's really the purpose, right? Like the purpose is not, oh, we're going to stop AI girlfriends by telling people that they're bad and that they shouldn't happen. It's like, right. well, no, no, that's not the re like <laughs> the whole point of this is that like if you're living as like a um as like a conscious, like self-aware person, uh, and you want to associate with other people who are similar, then those group of like that group of people is going to reject uh it's going to reject that you know that technological um whatever uh entertainment that's on offer right Mm -hmm. Uh, other people can choose to do that and i think the long game has to be that the humans that adopt these set of heuristics out compete the humans that do not right in some way sure Right. Well, and that's, I mean, that's definitely a goal. Certainly there's, I, I think that it's, it's two things. Right. And, and I think that you hit the nail on the head, which is you have to, you have to bake in like a disposition that people like will be able to use to respond to things versus like a hard coded rule because the, like things, innovation will pop up new products and, and, uh, and technologies will develop and become available and look desirable and flashy you can't like you can't paint too broad of a brush and you and you know it's it's uh futile to maybe like legislate around that probably uh but the um but in terms of uh you know competitive dynamics like that's that's a big part of of what's at play here and i think like a real issue right because that those those competitive dynamics also kind of like compel use in a lot of ways right like are um are you more likely 
or it, like you have a huge, you have an increased opportunity cost of, and like a, a good, uh, a good example of this is like, uh, you know, maybe like women in makeup, right? Like you, you have an increased opportunity cost of like not using it if everybody is right. And it like has advantageous effects. Right. So mm. in some ways there's, you know, there's internal versus external, um, you know, competitive dynamics, like, does it make your tribe or group or you as an individual competitive and in what setting? Um, that's one, that's one consideration. Another is like, uh, I, I think that the further, I think pretty confidently that over time, yes, like te techno, like societies that have been more technologically advanced have been, um, have outcompeted and decimated and colonized like other cultures throughout history. Like this is the, essentially the history of the West from like the Yamnaya forward, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, it translates to other cultures as well, but it's particularly Western. And um, but that's again that's that's a difference between an internal versus external facing kind of technology. Uh, now that's there's caveats to this as well. Like if you look at like, there's been, I think there's like a whole genre of economic papers that are like devoted to, uh, you know, the, the effects on productivity of caffeine and coffee. Right. Uh, so, so there's definitely a lot of complexity here, but there's um, yeah. I think that the society that doesn't have AI girlfriends will probably win out. Um, uh and I think in the context of like, you know, network states, uh, um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I, that's, I mean, this is another innovation. This is another area where, you know, we're introducing risk by innovating on a system that like we've survived with. Now well, that doesn't I, mean I, it's bad, but it's introducing risk. So well, I was actually going to uh, propose yeah. something a little bit different, which is that like, it sounds like what you're saying could be its own version of a network state. So, right. like, um, uh, I don't know if you've read the network state or how familiar you are with the concept, um, but for those who are listening, the network state uh, by Balaji Srinivasan um, was a book written last year, I think it was released, last year? Yeah, I think last year or the year before that. He's and, been working on it, I think, for a while. Yeah, and yeah, he's been working on it for a long time, but basically, you know, one of the, one of the core theses of the network state is that over time there's going to be this sort of like archipelago of digital first digital and then later uh physical communities that are formed around like a crucial like more he calls it one like crucial moral innovation so essentially you have like one commandment that binds these people together as a group and some of the examples given in the book are like um, you know, there could be a network state of like vegetarians, or there could be a network state of like, uh, I think he talks about like, you know, transhumanists or like Bitcoiners or whatever. All they need to have is like one common moral belief around which to, to begin to establish community. And what you're describing, uh, it, as anthro chauvinism could be its own version of a network state where you have communities of people uh, that are geographically distributed who have a certain, um, I guess, suspicion 
towards uh, new technology and especially technology that is overly influential on human bodies and human minds um, and endeavors to create a sort of like uh, intentional partition between certain technological uh, um, engagements and, you know, the living of a normal human life. Um, and, you know, it could turn out that these communities are, you know, uh, have more social cohesion or are more productive or are more fecund or whatever it may be that leads them to, you know, doing better in some ways um, than communities that do not do this. And that's sort of like the outline for what we're, we're getting at here. Um, is that something that everyone's going to need to grapple with? And I think, you know, there's probably going to be some more traditional religious communities that figure this stuff out too. Um, and in a way it's easier for them because they already have so much existing scaffolding. Um, but there's no reason why a more secular version of such a thing couldn't also work. Uh, no, that, I think that that's uh, I think that that's absolutely right. And I think that it like borders on like anything like this almost like borders on what you might typify as like as religious. Right. Yeah. Because it like you're you're asserting like some inviolable dogma. Right. And that's that is the border. That is the law of what you allow versus don't allow in in your state or your community. Um, and uh, it's. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it represents like the comp like the competitiveness of that state. You can orient it in such a way that you know um, its competitiveness versus other states is uh, on any sort of like terrain where that matters is like a function of like the health of your group. You know mm. how well off they are. Um, it's uh, the what makes this difficult and interesting is that or it, it, is that as technology innovates as we, as these things develop we actually become also like increasingly interdependent and globalized in ways that we don't necessarily like always understand right so um like the there's a lot of exigence in kind of like deter and in, in kind of like setting these aside early right getting on this and and behaving in this way early because it's only going to get more difficult, right? Like, it's um, uh, like if if you just consider like cashless businesses now, right? Like, uh, I think it was like it, there was like an ad in like 1994 or something that I, that I saw floating around, like, um, or not an ad, it was an, a news segment where <laughs> Burger King had like allowed uh, credit cards to be used uh to like you know buy you know their hamburgers and yeah. um and people were like uh you know dismissive and almost like incredulous at this like are you serious like why would you need a credit card for a hamburger and um and now we're seeing like you know it, it's so proliferated that you know there are businesses that you can't patronize without you know a card right cashless businesses so um as technologies develop, they become more compulsory, like some technologies become like compulsory over time. Uh, and, um, and also, uh, you know, the effects of any participant, this is, that's, you know, um, 
that's in one direction. In the other direction, it's, uh, you know, from one agent outwards where, you know, like if somebody messes up and they're a, you know, pretty important node in like this greater graph of interdependent relationships, it can have a huge effect downstream. Um, uh, like uh, if somebody's, um, you know, it, it, it could only take like one person uh, being particularly strategic on like social media to maybe even like cause like a coup. Right. Mm. It's um, it's uh, it's like the, the coordination of this will become increasingly like difficult over time, I think, or at least more complex. But we'll also have more tools for it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the application of a network state would be is is obviously like super interesting. And um, again, kind of points to the need for like more general kind of heuristics for how to receive and uh react to an like uh an accelerating increasingly quickly changing world so one thing i wanted to ask you about just because we've sort of been narrowly focused on kind of ai uh and ai applications in this discussion but obviously sure. you know the the prescription you have is much more broad than that um is reproductive technology so mm -hmm. a lot of advances recently in, you know, things like prenatal genomics and other, other things um, have, you know, sparked renewed interest in reproductive technology. Um, right. And so that's become sort of a theme of the show. Um, we talked to a number of people about this, uh, most notably Steve Shu. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, does this, uh, framework in your view apply equally as well to um, to aspects of reproductive technology like you know genomic screening and um, uh, you know even whatever potentially uh, various forms of uh, I don't know aided reproduction obviously there's a, a big concern over birth rates right now and so mm -hmm. a lot of it is driven by uh, by the need to sort of uh, deal with people having children later, people having fewer children, um, sort of wanting quality, uh, quality. Uh, so there's there's sort of two things happening. One is that we need more people being born, at least in Western industrialized nations. Um, and then the other thing that's happening is there's a uh, a cohort of uh, of very wealthy people, Elon Musk among among others. Who are very interested in also getting uh, better humans. So there's a quality concern mm. as well as a quantity concern. Um, and so I just wanted to ask your view uh, on reproductive technology in light of everything we've discussed. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, my my initial reaction to to reproductive technology is that there's a great deal that we don't understand about our reproductive systems, and and for that reason. We should be like very skeptical and hesitant and cautious in like approaching and adopting these. Um, that's one. And then two is that I think that it lends to this other dynamic within tech that uh, I think is going to be a problem, which is that we respond to issues generated by technology and like their unforeseen consequences with more technology. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and that's like you know, that you're just compounding and kicking the can down the road. So uh, it's, um, 
Now, like, am I going to say that like a geneticist or somebody who's, who has a particular focus within the space is very well informed, like shouldn't, uh, like should be barred from participation? No, but like, it's, uh, it'd be like super concerning if like, it's super concerning if, um, if, if a treatment is adopted on, on a massive scale. Like imagine like the consequences of like the social consequences of, you know, a group being like dependent on a reproductive technology to function, right? Like mm. that means you can essentially, you could put, could possibly go like extinct within like a generation or completely fuck up your next generation. Um, re uh, like if, if it malfunctions or doesn't work in a way that you expect it or suddenly is unavailable or whatever reason causes some uh undesirable unacceptable effect side effect right like we're already seeing like side effects of like birth control and like hormonal birth control in particular in women right so um yeah like immediately he, like like this is actually one of the technologies that's like that actually like greatly agitates me towards being anti-technology generally mm. um yeah, yeah so it just a, kind of it's, it, expo it exposes a huge huge amount of arrogance sorry go ahead well, no, I said there's a chance we become too fragile, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, like one one interesting example of this is, and people don't think about it in these terms, is uh, the uh, the cesarean, like the, the C-section. Mm -hmm. um, because like typically, like, so my understanding is that the reason why, like partially why there's a kind of like limit on the growth of like the human brain is actually because of head sizes if they're too big end mm -hmm. up resulting in too many um uh you know mothers dying during childbirth right uh, sure. or, or babies not making it out right and so your the human skull literally is like is like uh constrained by the 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 ability to go through the birth canal mm -hmm. um but once you remove that actually like you've now uh like altered the uh the like evolutionary pressure <laughs> on like the head sizes of babies which you can argue whether it's a good or a bad thing but that's just an example of how like one uh medical intervention could change the uh the evolutionary dynamics uh that are like put on the human body and and what what can succeed into the future and what cannot um and so yeah it is an interesting question like one of the things that's been brought up is like, okay, so a lot of people are trying to figure out how to, you know, how to increase fertility, you know, because people are having kids later, people are delaying having children, they want, they're wanting to do it into their mid late 30s. Um, and, you know, one of the things about this, that's worth considering is like, um, you know, uh, a population that needs a bunch of this uh, assistive reproductive technology uh, is extremely fragile, right? To not having mm -hmm. access to this stuff. Um, and so, uh, you know, it may be that, you know, uh, you don't want to lean too far into that stuff because uh, you create a situation where a large chunk of the species wouldn't be able to perpetuate themselves. I don't know. Right, right. I mean, like, uh, I think this is where that heuristic applies again, which is that uh, that that heuristic that okay, if you are 
weaker or less capable without using a technology as a result of having adopted it, you know, don't participate, like maybe don't participate. Um, And, and that becomes more and more exigent and (laughs) uh, as a principle, like the closer that you get to like necessary human functions and like, this is another thing that I, I want to articulate with like the anthro chauvinist idea too, which is that, you know, there's, there's things that are near and dear and like sacred to, uh, and, and many ways poorly understood simultaneously about the human experience, about how we function. Um, and those are the areas where we're actually spending a lot of time experimenting and innovating, like the mind reproduction, all these things where, if we break it, if we fuck up, uh, the results can be disastrous. And, um, and we're already kind of seeing that, right? Like the, you know, consider, uh, you know, uh, women who have their eggs frozen and then they, they get to the point where they're hoping to have kids. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work when they expected it to, right. They maybe would have had a kid otherwise. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, it, this is what's uh, particularly exciting and and horrifying <laughs> is that all these areas are are ripe for uh, ultimately you know unnecessary innovation right like we we've evolved to uh, as a species to not like, like to be able to self sustain uh, and and leave li- and live like full complete lives. Right. We like none of this is necessary. Obviously, there's edge cases and things like disease. But most of this is like is uh, is uh, like superfluous. Um, oh. Unnecessary risk. So this has been a nice tour of uh, of this concept. And I do hope that anthro chauvinism catches on. I think it's a good meme. Uh, maybe you'll come up with For some sure. new name. Uh, I'm not sure. But I think in the meantime, it's 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 good. It's provocative. It gets the people going. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that said, it. I uh, I appreciate the conversation. My last question: um, Are you going to continue trying to work in uh, in technology, like in in the AI space? I'll say, um, mm-hmm. or have you have you soured on it completely? No, that's a good question. And uh, I'm certainly not like closed off to it, um, but I'm closed off to more and more. And but the more that I think that I uh, try to like carve the lines of what um, how how to delineate between stuff that's going to be uh, completely horrific and and not uh the the more excited i get about like the positive possibilities uh so i hope that like like uh you know that lines get carved out or other people um are able to figure out ways to to delineate but yeah no i'm not stepping away but i'm being deliberate for sure yeah well it's sort of why we had this conversation to uh work out how to live more deliberately right absolutely absolutely and thanks for having me man it was an honor It was great talking. Great. Well, have a good one. See ya. You too.